0: of Exodus and, um, and give you a bit of a pop quiz. Uh, so most of us know uh, the contents of at least the first half of Exodus. We've talked at length about the second half as well, uh, but uh, if you could like pin the book of Exodus down to just a word or, or two or three words, what, what's happening uh, in this book? What, what, would, you, what would you say? How would you describe the book of Exodus? You might say that the people are exiting, <laughs> exiting the bondage that they find themselves in, right? You might describe it as, as freedom. You might describe it as a, a movement from exile uh, into becoming uh, the people of God, you know These are all, all, all correct answers. And uh, the, the pop quiz, though, goes like this. So we all know the phrase, let my people go, right? We know this one? You know, so Moses uh, goes to the Pharaoh and uh, repeatedly has to confront him, and he says, let my people go. Do you know the phrase that immediately follows, let my people go, every single time? What, what is it? Mm, mm, not quite. There's, there's just a little more. Yeah, I didn't think so. Because I, I don't think I would have gotten it either. Right? Moses doesn't stop at, let my people go. It, it's actually, it's just a little bit longer than that. He says, let my people go that they may serve the Lord. Right, every single time. There's a there's a purpose to it. There's a a, a, as we've said, a a freedom and a release from bondage for a specific purpose that they may serve. Right, this is what God says. I'll give you a few examples if you want. uh, Turn with me to Exodus uh, chapter eight. There's a few things in there. So starting in verse one. Uh, we'll see exactly what I'm talking about. The plagues are about to start happening. Before they do, the Lord sends Moses to Pharaoh. And in verse 1 here, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into the Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Right? And what does the Pharaoh do? He does not let those people go. And they are not able to serve God the way uh, God wishes, and therefore God has to send a plague. In this case, it's frogs. Fast forwarding uh, just a few verses uh, to verse 8, finally, Pharaoh is, is tired of the frogs, uh, and so he, he says this The Pharaoh called to Moses and Aaron, and he said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people. And I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Which isn't quite what Moses had asked for, is it? It's close, I'll I'll say that much. The the sacrificing is is close to. But it's not exactly the same. God God wants us to, to serve him, not just the sacrifice part. Service, it turns out, is bigger than that. And I think maybe the Pharaoh had uh, a narrower focus. Namely, Pharaoh was very happy to be the king. He was very happy to be in charge. He was very happy to be the one that Israel was serving. And so he's then able to say, well, okay, go sacrifice to God, but then come back and keep serving me is essentially what he's saying. God does relent with the frogs, however, and, and then there's a series uh, of other ones. But in, in verse 20, to pick it up again, we, we see the same thing happen. The, the Lord says to Moses, rise up early in the morning, present yourself to Pharaoh again as he goes out into the water and say to him, thus says the Lord, there it is again, let my people go that they may serve me. Right, same phrase, that they may serve me. And here, I do believe that service is the key, at least to what I'm trying to tell you this morning. (laughs) Certainly the Lord speaking is part of this. Letting people go is part of this. But there is an end in sight, right? That they may, may serve me. God is indeed freeing the Israelite people from the bondage, from the service of this Pharaoh toward service of God there's a sense in which it's 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 good news it is good news like they're being released from from bondage to the pharaoh but then they're they're really essentially being asked into bondage of another sort you see it's it's god who wants to be their lord which is another word for master or or, or the one who they are serving And I don't know how that strikes you. You see, I I think in our uh, 21st century individualistic society, we're taught that freedom means, well, freedom from all and every bondage, right? But I think what the scripture teaches us is that we're all serving something. And instead of serving the Pharaoh, what God is, is offering to us is that we might serve him instead because God is a better master than the Pharaoh is. All of this, the story in Exodus, it culminates in the passage that we read for today, which is Exodus chapter 20, which we all know as the as Ten Commandments. And, and I'm going to read it again for us. It, it goes like this, the, the start of it anyway. God spoke all these words. Saying, oh, and by, by the way, at this point, uh, they have been ushered out of the Pharaoh's presence. They've wandered through the wilderness a little bit already, and they found themselves on the mountaintop, right? A- and then they get to this. God spoke all these words to Moses, uh, who's supposed to deliver this to the Israelites. And he says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Right? You shouldn't serve any other gods. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, right? No, no graven images. Again, nothing that you're serving other than, than me, the Lord, the true God, the only thing in the universe that deserves to be uh, given your full allegiance. And then he says this, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, do not bow down to them, and do not serve them. For I, the Lord, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the Father on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. We're talking about service today, and to start with, I I really want to talk about what it means to be a service-shaped people. What does it mean to serve, right? And as we've already seen, perhaps the thing we start with is that first and foremost, primarily rock bottom level, where a people who serve God. This is simple enough, uh, right? It is simple enough, but it seems actually quite difficult in practice because there are all of these other things vying for our attention and for our service. When we get to the New Testament, Jesus puts it this way. He says, you can only serve one thing. You can't serve God and money, right? You can only serve one, and so you choose which one. Which one are you going to serve? That's what Jesus says. Or Paul. Paul puts it a little differently, but in Romans 125, he's, he's criticizing uh, the world at large for, for serving the wrong things, and he says they, they are serving the created when in reality they should be serving the creator, Right? They're serving the created, but they should be serving the creator. Or just more simply put yet, a confessional that is probably the first confessional that Christians ever say, it's three words long, only two in the Greek, it's Jesus is Lord. And when we say that Jesus is Lord, we are doing something quite dramatic. We are saying that he is master, that there is no other uh, Lord above Jesus, that, that he is the one that deserves, again, our full allegiance and our, our full faith and our full trust. And, and so it's, it's in Jesus that we put all of that. And it's not in these other things that buy for our attention And so when we think of being a a service-shaped people, first and foremost, we think of serving God, right? Serving God. The next thing we think of, we think of serving others, don't we? Perhaps that's the first thing you thought of, but, you know, make sure you get that first one in there. We do think of serving others. We are commanded to do as much. Our passage today was from Matthew chapter 20. It went like this. I'm actually going to skip toward the end. Uh, there's this scene uh, where the mother of the sons of Zebedee come, and, and she's trying to vie for Jesus to, to put uh, the two sons at Jesus' right and left hand, and, and Jesus asks a series of questions, and he's like, you don't know what you're asking. And then, uh, then the disciples all start fighting uh, because they're all wanting to be at Jesus' right and, and Jesus' left, and then Jesus kind of has enough of it, and he says this at the, at the end, starting in, in Matthew 20, verse 25. He says, Jesus calls them all together. He, he sits them down, just like you would the children. And, and he sits in front of them and he says, you know what? The rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And they're great ones. They exercise authority over them. And it shall not be so among you. It shall not be this way. But whoever would be great must be your servant, right? Must be your servant. And whoever would be first must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Have you heard me quote this this passage before? Just a simple nod or uh, uh, yeah no yeah i've said it many times actually from this stage from this pulpit uh and it's one of these that i i think we hear and we don't want it to stick right we we don't because we we actually we really like the jesus who is uh, all-powerful and is, going, is coming in on the... the he's the white knight on, on the horse that's coming in and, and the, the, the blood-drenched cloak and, and he's going to slay everybody and, and he, he represents all power. But this Jesus right here, this one says something different. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many you go and do the same thing that's what he's saying right you go and be like that and that's not as fun <laughs> right i, I mean the, the the power one is a that that feels a little bit better than the one who who serves and and who has to give his life as a ransom for many, I do believe this is what Jesus is calling us into. I believe this is what Jesus is calling all of us into. Uh, if you remember last week, we talked about fellowship, and uh, the, the, the fancy theological word is perichoresis, but the, the, the simpler idea is that the Trinity, the three in one, they exist in a state where they are pouring themselves out for each other, right? And I believe that Jesus is showing us this way as, uh, the, as how humanity itself, we are pull, being pulled into this perichoresis or into this pouring ourselves out for each other. And if we were to serve each other in this way, everybody giving of themselves, well, the world would look very different, wouldn't it? This is, this is not how the world works. In fact, the the pragmatists among you, and myself being one, uh, would say, this is a nice sermon, Eric, but that's just not how the world works, right? You're just going to, you're setting us up for failure. We're just going to get trampled, right? (laughs) Right? That's what's going to happen here. And it may. It actually may happen. Um, And and knowing the wisdom of, of when to stand up and to say, well, enough is enough, you know, this is... This is difficult. But what I see in my scripture, what I see Jesus doing and demonstrating on a regular basis is somebody who's willing to serve the other over and over again, and he's pulling us into this kind of life. We are to be service-shaped people, serving the Lord and serving one another. Now, uh, you might say to yourself, well, Eric, some of this is obvious, right? You've not said all that much. Really, you've just gotten us to the two greatest commandments, which I think if I had asked that from the beginning, you would have been able to give me. What are the two greatest commandments that Jesus says? Love God and love your neighbor, right? Right? And I'm just saying the same thing, which is when we talk about service, we're talking about serving God and serving the other, serving our neighbor. In fact, if if we go back and we we look again at that Exodus 20, we actually see serving and love seated side by side together together. And God is warning them from the beginning, don't, do not, whatever you do, do not bow down and serve those other gods, right? But instead, to those who love me, he says, well, I will show steadfast love to them, to the ones who love me and who keep my commandments. And he pulls these things together he says the bowing down and, and the serving and the, and the loving me and the keeping my commandments, all of this is, is wrapped up together. This is what it looks like. So what does this mean? I want to move and pivot just a little bit from a service-shaped people to what the shape of our service often and can look like. Um, sometimes service is, is quite dramatic, and we have a, an example that I want to give that's like happening right now. Uh, but, but service, when you think of servicemen and service women in our military, it, it can be very dramatic, in fact, or uh, our police force called to serve and to protect. There's a, there's a willingness to literally sacrifice all, to give all of oneself for, for what? For the other, right? To serve the nation or the community that one is in. And, and so much so that they're willing to die for this, right? This is definitely a form of service, It's it's certainly not uniquely American, though. We we find it throughout history. We we find it in all parts of the globe. In fact, uh, today, the the Ukrainian president, uh, Zelensky, um, has has recently said, I guess it wasn't today, he recently uh, was offered the opportunity by U.S. forces to be pulled out uh, of Ukraine He's like their number one target, Russia's number one target, and he said, no, he said, no, I, I don't need a ride out of here, he says, I just need more ammunition, is actually what he said, I need more ammunition, uh, I, I'm, I'm staying and I'm fighting, and then he put up a video, and I don't know if you've seen it, but it's gone viral, the video, uh, and it's him, and he's standing there with uh, four uh, of, uh, of the folks that are in his cabinet, and, uh, and he says this. Um, this is a translation of what he said, but he says, um, good evening to you all. And he's speaking from the capital, which is under siege, right? And he says, good evening to you all. The head of government is here himself. The head of the president's office is here. Prime Minister Schmeihal is here. Advisor Podolyak is here. The president is here. Our soldiers are here. Our citizens are here. We are all defending our independence, our country, and it will stay that way. Glory to the men and the women defending us. Glory to Ukraine. Glory to the heroes. And he chooses to stay, right? He chooses to stay. And uh, I will say, I'll, I'll be honest, like uh, I, I tried to put myself in that situation. Like, would I stay? You know, would I stay? Uh, if I'm given the opportunity, if God forbid, uh, an all-out war is taking place, like right around me, and I know that I'm target number one, do I, do I go? Do, do I leave the country or, or, or leave the state or go somewhere else? Or do I stay and fight, knowing my life is at risk, but also knowing, knowing that there are people looking up to me because I'm their leader and they're expecting me to do something, right? What do I do? And I, I don't know. Well, I can't say because I've never been in a situation like that before and I pray to God I never have to. But he, he chooses to stay. And again, he's willing to, to give his life to, to, to give it all up, and why for others, right? This is a form of service. It's a very dramatic form of service, and I think when we think of service, sometimes we think in these very dramatic uh, ways. If we can just kind of step back from the ledge a second and say, most of us don't live in that drama. As much as we might wish we did or think we did or, or like dream that we do, our service is very mundane, folks. And I promise you that's a good thing. It's mundane in the sense of ordinary, quotidian, normal, normal life. But I'll suggest to you this. Sometimes the extraordinary extraordinary efforts uh, of service they're hard no doubt. The decision Zelensky's having to make to stay there and to lead his country through an incredibly difficult time is a I mean this is a profile in courage no doubt. But The unrecognized service, that day in, day out, day in, day out, happens over and over and over again over the course of a lifetime, I I actually think that can be quite difficult as well, especially if it goes, again, unrecognized. It's just something you do. Maybe at some point it becomes not difficult, though. Because you would just simply say, well, this is who I am. I, I just do this. Why am I up here at the church on a Tuesday uh, serving in X way? I don't want to call people out. But, uh, well, because that's what I do. This is who I am. You know, every event that we ever have, someone has to show up early and set up, right? And somebody's got to stay late and clean up. And I promise you, it's not always me. In fact, uh, it's, it's kind of a rare occasion that it is me. Often people tell me to, to like go home or why are you here? Or, you know. And there are groups of people who do these things, again, behind the scenes, behind the scenes. There, uh, the council, every Saturday morning, once a month, uh, they, uh, they come together and they, they give up that Saturday morning for the sake of the, the body, right? The, the mowing teams uh, that meet uh, and, and, and mow our lawns, uh, maybe you don't know, but like, this doesn't just happen magically. <laughs> the, the grass doesn't just become you know, a little bit shorter uh, just by accident, right? People do this. And, and to make a church happen... Uh, requires actually a, a tremendous effort, and um, and I'll say this. And it was in the blurb that I, I don't know if you even read them. I sometimes I hope you do, and then sometimes I hope you don't. Uh, <laughs> but the uh, in the blurb I wrote uh, that in coming here to South Run Baptist Church, I think if there's one, if I ha- if I had to like you know immediately say that this is the one thing. That I've learned from South Rome Baptist Church and from you, it's it's service. It has to do with stepping up, volunteering, giving of your time, giving of uh, your uh, your Saturday or your Wednesday night or uh, your Sunday morning, whatever it is. Uh, I haven't really participated in a church quite like this, and I I just want to say I think it's awesome. And, and, I, and I, I value you, and I value this church body for, for what you do. You are servants, and it may be mundane, and some of you may not even like the title, not just because it, it does feel kind of low to be called a servant, but, but uh, you may think, well, I'm, no, that's not me. I don't really, it's not much, right? I don't don't do anything, you know. I'm just doing my part or something like that. But I want you to know it doesn't uh, go by without notice and it is appreciated. A service-shaped people also, um, a couple other things I would want to say about it. Uh, in brief, here. Um, Paul, Paul talks about it this way. He says uh, in 2 Thessalonians 3 10 to 12, this is a passage you're probably familiar with. It, it gets thrown out every time uh, you know, there's work to be done. And it, uh, it goes like this For even when we were with you, we would give you this command if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. That's what Paul says. Uh, If you're not going to work, then, well, don't eat. And he goes on. He says, For we hear that some among you are uh, walking in idleness, not busy at all, but busy bodies. Now uh, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living, or more literally, really, to earn their own bread, right? Right? just to give you a little context of what Paul's talking about here, is Paul's uh, talking to the Thessalonian people who are all living uh, in um, very close uh, contact with each other. And they're probably having, uh, If we, many of you have expressed missing the Wednesday night meals. Um, And uh, I actually, I do too. I I look forward to our meals uh, on these Sundays. Um, But the, the regularity of the Wednesday, well, these people... The Thessalonians, they ate probably every day together, right? And they actually started, if you read Acts closely enough, they started sharing things together. And there was a sense in which they all they 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 maybe had all things in common, right? And they were living life together in a way that we probably can't even quite imagine. And then this part you can't imagine. There's the guy who's not pulling his weight, right? He's not doing his work. And yet he's coming to supper, right? And he's showing up and he's, uh, and, and he's enjoying all of the fun times too. Uh, but then uh, when it comes time to, to clean up after supper, uh, he's suddenly missing again. Uh, you know, and and uh, I think this is what Paul is talking about here. I think he's talking about uh, the person who likes to enjoy all of the benefits of a, of a social order uh, or of a community or of a church, but maybe doesn't put in the time, right? Doesn't put in the work quite the same way. Doesn't, doesn't serve the other. And uh, w- without calling anybody out because uh, I don't wish to, uh, but like, I mean, let that sit with us for a minute. Like, what is the service that we are providing back to this community that we call South Run Baptist Church? My guess is if you're feeling the pangs within you, you're one of two people. You're probably already doing way too much and you're just like a guilty conscience and you end up doing way too much more, right? Or maybe you should think to yourself, oh, I wonder if there is something that I could do. But I actually want to get away from that sort of guilt trip version of service towards something else. Because I would much rather have a service that is designed toward uh, something that fills you with joy, something that resonates with who you are, something that is sustainable. And so I've begun to think of service uh, in three different ways. Uh, I'll call them the the bottom-up approach, the top-down approach, and the two-by-two approach, okay? The top-down approach goes like this. We have a, a ministry that exists already and somebody's leading it, and we've got uh, places that we need help with. And you find your spot in that place, right? And we, and we make a call out, and we say, oh, hey, we're going to do this event. Uh, we need some people to step up, or we've got a nursery to fill. Uh, do you mind? That's a top-down approach. And finding uh, service in there becomes like, uh, I think this is actually an important part of living in the body. Uh, it's, it's sometimes doing things that you're passionate about, and then sometimes it's, well, it, this is just a position that, that needs to be filled because somebody's got to do it, right? <laughs> Otherwise, it's, it's, a, it's a job that's not going to get done. There's the bottom-up approach. I actually particularly like this one. The bottom-up approach goes like this. In a church setting, uh, especially like ours, I have find, found the most successful ministries are ones that are not designed from the top or from the leadership or someone saying, uh, you need to do X. It's actually one of you coming up and saying, you know what? I've got this passion for this project. I would love for our church to participate In this. And I would love to lead this. And I would love to be uh, somebody who brings others along, right? And this has happened any number of times here at our church. And so, if this is you, the bottom up approach, you have a passion, there's something, it's not in the church structure already, but you say to yourself, I think we can do this. I think we can get this done. And I think we can do it as a body. Well, come to our leadership, whether it's a discipleship issue, whether it's a fellowship issue, whether it's a worship issue, whether it's just something you want to talk to me about, right? Find the right person to do that. And the last thing I'd say is I'm calling it the two-by-two approach. We talked a little bit this morning in the Sunday morning Bible study about this, and it's something that's been weighing on my mind ever since we talked at length about being disciples and discipleship. And I thought, you know, um, what does discipleship really look like? Uh, Sometimes we might uh, make it more, spiritualize it more than it actually is. Sometimes it's just doing relationships together. And and by two Christians joined together uh, and working on a project together, there is opportunity in that space that is created where these two people can disciple one another or a wiser can mentor a younger person or however it might work, right? And so my hope is, my hope going forward, when I think of service and when I think of uh, you know, doing work here at South Run Baptist Church, I do think in terms of, of two by two, working with other people, working in teams, Sharing the load, not being a lone wolf, not being stuck out there feeling like you have to do it all, right? But finding someone else who has your back, and when you're on vacation, this person's not, and, and vice versa, right? I, I think this is a far better way, I find it actually to be a biblical way, out of time here, but uh, to, to go about doing discipleship and service together. And this is where discipleship and service become one and the same. This year, this year is all about strengthening and supporting our church body, right? COVID has kind of taken its toll on us. And what does it mean to to strengthen and support each other? You might think that it means, well, not asking you to do anything, and if that is what you think it means, well, maybe that's, it's possible that that could be for you for a, for a time or a window. But my guess is that's not what you think it is. That's not going to give you the rest you think it will. That actually leaning in and finding someone else in the church body who you can work alongside over the course of time your work together knits your hearts together will be far more supportive and will give you strength in a way that you probably didn't think it would. This is my hope. Whether it's top down, bottom up, two by two, all of the above. I do think that finding a place to serve here at South Rome Baptist Church will actually support you and strengthen you in ways that some of you already know quite well because you're already doing a lot of it. And some of you who are doing a lot of it maybe, in fact, need to step back and let others fill in the void. I'm not one to, to do the guilt trips and... And it's starting to feel like that from here. I'll just be honest. I want what is best for each and every one of you. Knowing what, each, what is best for each and every one of you, well, is impossible. And it's impossible to speak to you personally. But in the moments that are about to follow, we're gonna sing a song together. We're gonna do some reflection together. And I want you to do some soul searching about what your life here at South Baptist Church can and should look like, and what being supported looks like, and strengthened looks like, and what doing service, how that fits in to all of that. Let's pray together. God, our Father, Christ, our Lord, Holy Spirit, It is you that we serve first and foremost. You're the reason that we serve. You're the grounding of everything we try to do. Guide us, direct us in this moment. Speak to our hearts. God, fill us with what it is that you desire for us to know and to feel and what it is we are to do this very day teach us, Lord, how to be your servants and how to serve one another well. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing one final song.